Kathy and I met Molly on a flight from Philadelphia to Amsterdam. The three of us were in the center seats in the center section of a DC-10. I know DC-10s are not around much anymore, but there were five seats in the center. We were in those three seats and uh, in the very, very center of the plane. And with a long flight, a boring movie and nowhere to go, we ended up in a long conversation with Molly. She was a college student in North Carolina headed to a spring break trip to Norway. And then uh, she asked where we were going, and we told her that we were headed to an event for church leaders in the country of Romania, and she lit up. She said, so you're religious. Yeah, we are. And um, she began to describe a college class that she was taking on spirituality. She said the class had given her a desire to get in touch with God. She'd had several important spiritual experiences, but she said, I'm really just on the very front end of this journey. At one point, she turned to Kathy, and she said, so what's your story? And Kathy told her that uh, she too had been a seeker, that as a young girl she had knelt to pray by her bed each night, but it just didn't really all make sense. And so it wasn't until middle school that she began to actively seek God. She told her that her search eventually led her to a group that went to a Young Life camp in northern Minnesota where over MEA weekend she heard about Jesus. So she lay one evening on the bottom bunk of, a, of her cabin looking at the graffiti overhead and prayed, asking Jesus to forgive her of her sins and begin a relationship with him. Now, Kathy and I never saw Molly again. To this day, we have no idea whether Molly made a decision to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, we don't know. We just hope that we were able to help her move one step closer to him. Now, Molly's just like so many of us. We're seekers. In fact, she assumed that everyone was like us, that we were all searching to make sense of God and the world in which we live. Well, there's another story about a seeker that I'd like to share today. It's a story that dates from the beginning of the Christian church. Luke, the author of Acts, tells us this story in Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. So if you'd like to follow along in one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1669. Page 1669, it, the words will also be on the screen. Here's how Luke begins. He says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candake. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way, rejoicing. There are three characters in the story, and the first is this African nobleman, who could best be described as a curious seeker. And we're not told his name, although Luke gives us a fair amount of information about him. 
first of all, he's an African. It says specifically from Ethiopia, although the word that's used here probably designated an area that's now part of the Sudan. In ancient literature, the most commonly mentioned feature about that particular area, or people from that particular area, is that they had very dark skin. He was also an important royal official, specifically the treasurer or the minister of finance of the queen. Highly intelligent, a specialist in economics and finance, he was part of the ruling class and a man of great authority. And we're also told that he was a eunuch. Now this sounds strange and even cruel to us, but in those days in some countries, boys who showed great promise were singled out for government work. They were then castrated so they'd be able to, unable to marry and have families in order to be able to give their full attention to their official duties. Now Jews opposed this practice. In fact, Jewish law excluded eunuchs from entering the temple or full Jewish citizenship. In other words, by virtue of his disability, he would have been excluded from full participation in Jewish religious life, no matter how much he might have wanted to which makes the next fact about him a little bit surprising because he was a seeker, someone who was deeply curious about Jewish faith. In fact, he went to remarkable lengths just to visit Jerusalem. Ethiopia was about 2,000 miles from Jerusalem. That's the distance from here to San Francisco, but it's before planes, before automobiles, and even before carbon fiber bikes. So by chariot, even at 20 miles a day, this journey would have taken roughly three months, three months coming and three months going before he even had a chance to spend some time there. And we're told he came to worship. That may seem strange to us, but it wasn't uncommon actually at the time. From historical sources, we know that the world was full of people who were weary of the capricious gods and loose morals of many ancient religious traditions. These traditions were full of everything from silly superstitions to horrid practices like child sacrifice. So it's no wonder many were attracted to the Jewish way of life. Judaism, they saw, was something that was sensible and practical. And even its strictness was seen as something that could lead them closer to God. Jews had a term for people like this man. They called them God-fearers. People who, while never becoming Jews, or at least not normally becoming fully Jews, still devoted themselves to study and to worship and to practicing the Jewish faith. The second character in the story is what I would call a loving God. The first thing Luke wants us to understand is that God welcomes seekers. A friend of mine told me a story from her church. She said that uh, one Sunday, just after the service had started and the doors had shut, one of their greeters noticed a woman standing outside the doors of the worship center. He could sense that something was wrong, so he approached her and asked if he could help. And she turned and looked at him, and with tears in her eyes, she said, I need God. He said, ma'am, you've come to the right place. He gave her a program, and he opened the door, and he found her a comfortable seat where she could be alone and invited her into that service. God's thrilled when we seek him. He welcomes us warmly. Just like the greeter who wel welcomed that woman, he welcomes us into a relationship with him. Two weeks ago, we talked about our forecast values, invite, belong, become, and serve. And to make these less intimidating in the coming year, what we've done is boil it down to a simple action in each one of these areas that uh, we want to challenge you to practice this year. And for the belong value, our challenge is to encourage you to meet one new person each week. We want to make City Church a welcoming community for all. One of the challenges for some of us who've been around for a while is we've got a lot of friends. And so what we want to do is look out for the people that we know and hang out with them. And that's good, except that it also means that we're not necessarily meeting anyone new on a specific week. 
we want to challenge you to meet someone that you don't know each week. So before you go and hang out with the people that you already know, look around for someone that you've not met and introduce yourself. Now don't worry if you end up meeting somebody that's been here for a while or even someone you've already met. Just say, listen, you know, I don't know if we've met before, but, and then introduce yourself. We especially hope you'll look out for people who really are here for the very first time. And visitors, don't panic. We are not going to smother you. We are not going to ask for your life story. We're not going to ask you for your social security number or anything quite like that. We just want to briefly meet you. And if you have any questions, we'd love to be able to answer those. The second way that we see God's love is the way that he takes the initiative. The way that Luke tells the story, it's clear that God is the one who made sure that Philip and this African had met in the first place. It's through God, through an angel, who prompts Philip to be in exactly the right place to meet this man at the right time. And it's God who's been preparing this man for the encounter. So we'll see in a minute, it's God who brings this seeker together with someone who can explain the truth. What this tells us is that as much as we might think that we're seeking God, even more, God is seeking us. Luke makes it clear that God's not hidden, but rather he wants to be found. God delights in revealing himself to us. Finally, Luke points out that God is inclusive. It was God's purpose that the church would reach outside its Jewish roots. Now, as human beings, we like being with people who are like us, whether that's ethnically or culturally or even politically. The earliest Christians were all Jewish. Their natural tendency would have been to share Jesus, but just to share them with the people they already knew, fellow Jews. Except that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave them a mission. He said, I would like you to share about me with not only those in Jerusalem, but also in Judea, an area that surrounded Jerusalem, and Samaria, a little area to the north, and then he said to the literal ends of the earth. Luke's decision to include this story in his biography of the early church, um, his history of the early church, is strategic. Undoubtedly, he selected, from, selected it from dozens of other stories that he could have told, but this one tells us about the first convert who was not a Jew. Here was a man who had at least three strikes against him. He wasn't Jewish, he was from the literal ends of the earth, and he was physically disabled. And yet God reached out to him. The final character in the story is Philip, an explainer of truth. And we met him last week, but uh, what we learned is that he was a leader in the early Christian church. But when persecution came, he and others left the city and began to tell others about Jesus and wherever they went. And in his case, he first went to Samaria, a place with a group of people that Orthodox Jews looked down upon. We told that story last week. But this week, he's prompted to go even further, both geographically and ethnically. That's how he met this African noble and engaged him in a conversation. Now, just to explain here something that uh, we might not uh, understand, at least from our culture, is that in those days, people did not, as we do, read silently. They read out loud. It was custom to do that. And one of the reasons is, is that the way they wrote is they just wrote all the letters together, and you had to figure out where the words began and ended. Uh, we put spaces. They didn't. And so it made it more difficult to read, and so you had to puzzle things out sometimes by sounding out what you were reading. That's why Philip knew what the African was reading. He recognized he was reading from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. So he approached him and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I understand, the man replied, unless someone explains it to me. And that question opened up an opportunity for Philip to tell him about Jesus. 
the African's response, by the way, doesn't mean that he was ignorant or hard-headed. Rather, it just shows that, and sometimes even the most intelligent of seekers, and he was an intelligent man, need someone to help them. Someone who has more background and experience and knowledge about that particular uh, reality. Someone who can answer questions and explain the good news of Jesus clearly. And in this case, Philip was the one who took time to understand, help him understand. One of the ways that we can live this out is either by finding a guide or by being a guide. So if you're someone who's still trying to put things together, finding yourself attracted to Jesus, interested and curious about the Bible, but you need a God, then see us. Consider joining one of our growth groups, our small groups, where you can meet with others who can, together, help you figure out some of the things that you don't understand. Or if you'd like to, maybe meet with somebody one-on-one -on -one for a period of time just to go through some of the basics of Christian faith. You may also, though, be able to be a guide for someone. Maybe just somebody who's not quite as far along as you are, where you have some of the answers that they may need. Someone that you can help move to a new level. So you can either be guided or be a guide. And Philip does this guiding for this curious African. It says that Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, what the man was reading, that very passage of Scripture, was from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 to 8. We're not given the full conversation that Philip had with this man, but it's not hard to speculate how that conversation unfolded. First, Philip may have backed up just a few verses, to verses 4 to 6. In, in verse 6, Isaiah writes, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. In other words, Philip would have explained, We're all sinners or what Immanuel call, uh, Kant called crooked timber. In, in our own way, each of us have rebelled against God. But the news isn't all bad, because in verses 4 to 6, he tells what Jesus did. The he here is always Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You see, it's because of our sin that Jesus died. And in his death, he took upon himself the punishment for our sins. But the good news, this Philip would have explained, is that in Jesus' death, we can experience forgiveness. The second part of verse 5, he says, The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. At some point in this conversation, the focus must have changed. So instead of answering questions, this man began to understand. Instead of confusion, he began to have answers. And that's when Philip may have asked this man if he was ready to make a faith commitment to Jesus. And here's how Luke explained what happens. happened. He said in verse 36, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to stand in the way of me being baptized? Throughout the book of Acts, you'll notice that conversion was often followed by baptism. Baptism isn't what made this man a Christian, but it's a sign, a symbol of his personal commitment to Jesus. It symbolizes cleansing, not of our bodies, but of our souls. It symbolizes how our sins have been buried with Jesus in his death, and we've been raised to new life through his resurrection. It tells others that we have chosen to identify with Jesus. There's an old story about a missionary who uh, some of the folks he was working with became Christians, and so the converts chose to be baptized. And he brought them down to the edge of the river where they were to be baptized, and he had them enter the water from one bank, then they were baptized, and he had them exit on the other side to symbolize new life in a new land. Now, if you've never been baptized as a believer, let us know. 
we would love to be able to have you do that, um, perhaps even this next summer. We do one or two baptism services each year, most of the time at Lake Harriet. It's a meaningful experience, um, and one that helps uh, us identify with Christ's death as, they go, as we go under the water and his resurrection as we come up. Then let us know if this is something you'd like to do. We'll put you on the list and make sure that you know um, what's going on and get in touch with you as time grows closer. The story ends by the Afri saying that the African went on his way rejoicing. On one level, we can only begin to imagine his joy at being introduced to Jesus Christ. Here's a man who was religiously separated from God by nationality and physical disability and religious tradition. Yet drawn to God, he was unable to find him. That is, until he had this amazing encounter. Philip explains the good news of Jesus Christ to him. And it's no wonder that his joy was great. Yet on another level, many of us can relate. If you reflect back on your own experience with Jesus, a time when you were first introduced to Jesus, which may have been not that long ago, or it may have been a long time ago, and when you discovered what it was to have a relationship with Christ. I'm always thrilled to hear people tell me their stories of how they were introduced to Jesus and the joy that they experienced at finding truth, the relief, the peace, the happiness, the hope and sense of purpose they experienced when they first made a commitment to him. And it's exactly what happened here to our friend from Africa. The question then is, what does this story mean to us? Like our friend Molly from the airplane, who assumed that every one of us is on a journey, we are all on a spiritual journey, but we may be in different places. St. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, that is, in God. So the journey begins sometimes a lot of different places. By the way, there's a card in your program if you want to follow along with the graphic on the screen that just describes kind of the stages that many people go through on their way toward a relationship with God. On the far left, sometimes people say, well, is hostility or indifference or skepticism really a way along the journey? But it's a starting point. Sometimes when I'm talking with people, I find that that's where they are, and that's okay. But often people move along to a point where they begin to be more curious. They have a lot of questions. Questions about, does God exist? And if so, what's he like? Why am I here? Does my life have meaning? Who's Jesus? And what is he all about? Eventually, maybe you start getting some answers. And that may be where some of you are. You have questions, and you're starting to get some of the answers to those questions. Maybe you've started to read the Bible, or attend Alpha, or meet with a friend that is a guide for you. And your search has led you to do something about this curiosity that you've had. And that might be where you are here this morning. Still others are close to a faith commitment. Maybe for the first time in your life, the Bible is making sense. You understand, like our African friend, that God loves you. You understand that you're a sinner, that you've fallen short of God's standard of perfection. And perhaps this is man understood for the first time you see now that that's the reason that Jesus died. That in his death, he paid the penalty for our sins. And in him, you can experience the forgiveness when you put your faith and trust in him. Others of you have made this commitment, perhaps recently or a long time ago. And if so, like Philip, build relationships with people who are far from God. And like him, be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be able to share Jesus with others, to be a sensitive but kind and clear explainer of truth. I mentioned earlier, two weeks ago, we went through our forecast values, invite, belong, become, and serve. And we've been challenging you to put into practice each of these in some simple way. And the invite value is to extend the invitation that Jesus offers us to others 
So like our African friend, the first thing we need to do is to receive the invitation Jesus offers. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But then, like Philip, to extend that invitation to others. Why? Because we believe, we really believe, that everyone who is far off from God would be better off if Jesus were at the center of their lives. This African noble left this encounter with Philip full of joy. Why? Well, because he had peace and meaning and purpose and hope for eternity that he did not previously have. So one of the ways that we can live this out is to share Jesus with a friend. That's why our challenge to you this year is to pray for an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus. We're going to help you do that. We're developing a class that will, um, after the first of the year, be implementing that will help you to learn how to tell God's story and tell your own story with Jesus. But the most important thing is that we begin by receiving that invitation ourselves. And that's another way that we can live this out. I don't know where you are on your faith journey. Perhaps like our African friend, you've begun to seek God. Maybe you once felt far from him, but now feel closer. This story tells us that there's no barrier too high to separate us from God. Not ethnicity, not religious background, not even our past. But that it, it is God's great love that motivated him to send his son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. And if that makes sense to you, for perhaps for the first time, let me encourage you to make a faith commitment to Jesus Christ. To acknowledge that you're more broken and sinful than you ever dared to imagine, and yet at the same time, more loved and cherished than you ever dared hope. Remember that Jesus has lived the life that we have lived, but have failed. Should have lived, but have failed. He died the death that we deserved, and then rose again, defeating sin and death once and for all. And in him, then, we can find life. We're going to close in prayer, and when we do, I just want to use that prayer as an invitation that if you need to receive Jesus, this can be a day when you do that. There's no more important decision that you can make than to make that decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say, if you're in process, I don't want you to feel pressured. This is something that we want to walk alongside anyone, um, answering the questions and finding the truth that you need to find. But this may be a moment when you may be ready to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. So if you will, let us pray together. Father, we know that we've let you down. we failed to live up to the way of life that you have for each one of us. But we thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. In response, Father, we put our trust in what you have done for us through Jesus. That in his resurrection, we too have been brought back to life spiritually. And we commit, having made that decision, to make you the leader of our lives, obeying you submitting to your will for our lives. Thank you for loving us, for forgiving us, for giving us the gift of a relationship with you. And it's in Jesus' name that we